How's it, guys? It's Amara Gardaya, and you are listening to my futile optimism. This week is a really weird week because the weekend saw the return of the English Premier League, which is the most amazing sporting event ever. And I support Manchester United, so you can imagine my elation at our 5-1 thrashing of Leeds. I have been in a very good mood since. However, I use soccer as my escapism, and as soon as that escapism sort of expires, I have to deal with the real world, which includes seeing all the news reports about what's going on in Afghanistan. And I am now full of really weird emotions, all trying to live at the same time in my body. So I feel like I'm in a weird space. But I guess that is what is nice about this podcast, is that it's really cathartic and kind of therapeutic to explain why I'm in a weird space. So I'll park Man United aside for now and try to deal a little bit with what's going on in Afghanistan. The one disclaimer that I can give is that the situation seems to be developing really quickly. Every hour there's like a new update. So I'm sure by the time this podcast is actually released, uh, there will probably be a lot of differences and a lot of updates. And that's why I'm not really going to try and do uh, like a news report That is, I guess, what the news is for. Please watch the news. It's very important. Or read the news or listen to the news. I don't care how you consume news. Just consume it. Um, I think the point of this discussion will be more about trying to figure out what is happening and why it's happening and what it means. And I don't mean what it means for the political leaders or America or any other country. I am really invested and concerned with the well-being of the actual Afghani citizens. Now, I know what a crash course is. I took many of them on YouTube when I was trying to study for my philosophy exams in first and second year. This is not a crash course in the Afghanistani conflict. This is more like a crash course if it was on fire and played at two times speed. Because I am going to rush through some basics that we kind of need to know. Um, And then the main discussion points are going to be why any of this actually makes a difference. I'm going to need you to kind of use your imagination as you listen to this because I am speaking about a sort of triangular framework of who the main sort of stakeholders or players are in this conflict. So if we look at a triangle, on the one corner we have the United States of America, On the other corner, we have the Taliban, and on the third corner, we have the Afghan government. I know some people might argue that the Afghan government should be the same as the U.S. government, which would then just make my triangle align, and I get it. I do understand. Um, Maybe if we looked at it as like a different type of triangle, so I don't remember different types of triangles, but the one where the one edge is closer to the other edge... um, that might, you know, make things a little bit more accurate because I do think there is valid criticism there. Um, the, the point, though, is not, like I said, to go into the entire history of this antagonism. So I was born in 1998 and the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in 2001. So basically my entire memorable life Um, I know the U.S. to be involved in some way in Afghanistan. I know the U.S. has been involved in the Middle East for much, much longer than that. 
But I basically have always imagined U.S. troops like walking around Afghanistan. And that is exactly what it's been until this year where Joe Biden announced plans to officially withdraw the troops. And the troops will be withdrawn by the ninth month and the 11th day. If that sounds familiar, I'm referring to 9-11. And that is now the sort of ceremonial date by which all troops in Afghanistan will be removed. And that is obviously, you know, harking back to the reason that the U.S. gave, at least, for invading uh, Afghanistan. I don't know if you could hear me there, but I kind of stumbled and I almost said for invading Iraq instead of Afghanistan. And that's not because I think that everywhere in the Middle East is the same country. It's just because I struggle to keep track of where America has invaded or where America has troops. Um, And... Let me just get back to the actual topic and then I'll speak a little bit about the war on terror. So what happened is 9-11 happened. I don't think anyone needs a reminder of what happened on 9-11, but obviously it was a tragedy. And in response to the about 3,000 lives that were lost, um, America needed to do something in order to retaliate against Al-Qaeda, who are the people responsible for 9-11, basically. And they needed to do that by going after Osama bin Laden, who was hiding out in Afghanistan. So that is why America says it went to Afghanistan in 2001. It also is why globally something called the war on terror became so popular. And that is something that I distinctly remember George W. Bush always, always repeating. You know, the war on terror. And that was used to justify basically the racial profiling of every single Muslim slash Middle Eastern person, not just in America, but across the Western world. And one of those manifestations of the war and terror was to kind of go into Afghanistan and look for Osama bin Laden and defeat Al-Qaeda. At the same time, though, obviously, when America tried to go into Afghanistan, they were met with resistance from the Taliban, who was in government at that time. So... Remember the triangle that we were talking about. So the story goes that the Taliban were in government and that they were willing to hide Osama bin Laden from the Americans. And that led to prolonged war. And eventually the Taliban government had to like withdraw and retreat. And that paved the way for what is currently called the Afghan government. So that is where the allegations that, you know, it's a puppet government kind of come from because their rise was precipitated by the intervention of America. However, I think there's some flaws that happen when people discuss these issues. Number one, there is definitely no way to pretend as if the Taliban-led Afghanistan was a safe haven or like a thriving society. So that's prior to U.S. intervention. Number two, I think there's also no way to really pretend that the current Afghan regime has been a thriving society either. So basically, the Afghan people have been going through the absolute most for more than a decade. And often I think when we discuss these issues, it's a case of, you know, is America right to be there? Is the Taliban right to, you know, try and go through different cities and try and win over different cities? Is the Afghan government doing enough to keep power? That's sort of the discussion. You know, we talk about each angle on the triangle, but I think we kind of forget to talk about what is in the surface of the triangle, and that's the ordinary civilians. 
what's currently going on, and at this disclaimer is that, you know, things will change. Things will definitely change over the next few days. But what's currently going on is that the U.S. troops are being pulled out, and that's sort of been like a green light for the Taliban to slowly take over more and more cities in Afghanistan. As I speak, I have just read that currently the Taliban is sort of closing in on Kabul, and and so far they have been able to capture 24 provincial capitals out of 34 provincial capitals. So basically the Taliban is making ground incredibly quickly. This is just from the 6th of August. So this is less than 10 days and that's how far they've gotten throughout the country. Joe Biden's sort of response or explanation rather for why he thinks it's time now to pull troops out of Afghanistan is that the Afghan government or the Afghan army is kind of ready to fight for themselves now, um, given all the training that they've received from the USA. It's obvious to see that they were not prepared to deal with this sort of insurrection by the Taliban and that the U.S. government can probably be called really irresponsible, at least, for being willing to pull out this quickly when the situation on the ground is actually quite fragile. The reports at the moment say that the current president, Ashraf Ghani, is likely to resign in the next few hours because there have been such serious debates going on between the Afghan government and the Taliban. The problem, I mean, people are saying that, you know, they think the only way they can fix this issue is with a political solution, which kind of refers to what I just said, maybe the resignation and some concessions on both sides and possibly a transitional government and some sort of working together between these really two big, big forces in Afghanistan. Um, people say that that is probably the only way to restore any sort of peace in the area. I guess the issue at the heart of it is how does that affect civilians? Because this is not about political point scoring, or rather it shouldn't be. The civilians of Afghanistan have pretty much not been at peace ever. And if they were, it has been very fleeting. In terms of a long-term future and a long-term vision for their country and their livelihoods, that has been disrupted multiple times throughout the past decades. It's caused humanitarian crises that we've never seen. It's caused issues of displacement and refugee crises. And this entire war has costed civilians more than anyone else. The death toll for civilians since America invaded Afghanistan in 2001 has been 78,314. Now, there have been reports that the Taliban sort of entrances into each city has not been that violent compared to what they're capable of, I guess. That's what people mean when they say that. And according to the Taliban themselves, that is a symbol of how well respected they are by the people of, Af of Afghanistan. Um, and I don't think that's true considering the long lines of people who are trying to flee the country. I guess basically anyone that's trying to simplify this entire discussion is probably doing a disservice at some stage to the real fears of people who live in Afghanistan. I have also heard that, you know, because most of the roads have been blocked off, pretty much the only way to escape the country is by flying and that the tickets have increased in price almost tenfold. So there is another issue over there where 
pretty much only the rich can flee. And I mean, that's a general case. That is not a unique case, but specifically here because they can't flee on foot, as it were, or by car. Uh, you kind of have to pay for a flight ticket if you would like to leave to the closest safe place, which is apparently Istanbul. So how this actual discussion really fits into the rest of this podcast is that I am trying to grapple with what is called the post-truth environment that we live in. There is a lot of historical revisionism going on. There is a lot of mental gymnastics that people are doing in order to justify who they think is right. And I think how it works is people pick a hero and twist the story to make their hero this infallible character that's done everything right and is never wrong, but is always wronged. So whether you pick America as your hero or the Taliban as your hero, um, I think there is a lot of problematic denial that happens. And the hardcore truth is that absolutely none of the three aspects of this triangle that I've spoken about have done enough to ensure the safety and security and thriving of the actual people in the triangle. That's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that there, there is now this leadership vacuum. There is now this really big struggle over who gets to control what and why and for how long and on what basis because there's a struggle of legitimacy, which, I mean, is also what we face here in South Africa. Again, partly because of historical revisionism, um, when people try to deny corruption, that very clearly happened and is happening. When people try to deny racism, that very clearly happened and is happening. I think for as long as we try to deny any sort of facts, we always, always end up doing a disservice to the people who actually have to live in these regimes and the people who actually have played no part in any of the politicking that's currently going on. So to, you know, lord the Taliban returning to government as the savior of Islamic rule and the establishment of a Islamic state, I think that is completely flawed, not only because what the Taliban does is pretty much against all other moderate interpretations of Islamic text and Islamic tradition, um, but it's also detrimental to the people that have lived under Taliban rule for so long previously. On the other hand, to then claim that the American intervention is justified and that, you know, America is this model army similar to the IDF, um, that I think is completely flawed because that ignores, you know, all of the American political interests that it has in the region. And to then load the Afghan government as this sort of rightfully democratically elected government that has complete legitimacy, I think is also a fallacy because... Um, it's quite obvious that that is not the case. And as I said, the element of U.S. involvement in the decision-making of the Afghan government has, I think, diminished quite a bit of its representational value. And that, I think, is the problem. This issue is complex, as is pretty much every other political issue in the world. And when we try to understand things, we often like to water them down just so that we can make it a bit less complex. But that complexity is there for a reason most of the time. And to remove that complexity is many times to just ignore facts. I plan on eventually doing some sort of a podcast that talks about whatever the outcome of this current 
crisis in Afghanistan is, but it's obviously way too early to do that as there is really no direction that I can even guess this thing will go. Hopefully when I do that, um, things will be in a good place for the civilians because I think the focus needs to be less on who is in charge, but more on how does that impact the daily lives of people. So the images of people packing their cars and trying to flee or moving into their family houses in other provinces just because they are, you know, afraid of what is going to happen when the Taliban comes to their province. Those images, I think, should break your heart because the the basis of all of our discussions needs to be the humanity of everyday people who are not involved in the political expediency that pretty much every political actor is always involved in. And I think it's also important for us to always center women and children, not just because they have been very well-documentedly oppressed by the Taliban regime, but because in general, in the entire global context, and that includes Western countries, they have always been at the bottom rung of everything. And if you ever want a just society or a society that you know, actually looks like it progresses and looks like it cares about its people, then the people that you have to prioritize are women and children. And I don't know which kind of government in Afghanistan will be able to do that, but that is what I'm hoping for. And I think if we get closer to that, then hopefully it will be some sort of a compensation for all the lives that have been lost. But 78,314 lives, that's a lot. That's a lot of lives. We also need to have a really frank discussion about U.S. intervention and what that actually means. How is it that you can be in a country for 20 years against a specific enemy and by the time you leave, within a few weeks, that enemy is able to take over city by city and again torment the civilians? I I just, I don't get how that sort of intervention is justified when the outcome is basically as bleak as the situation was before the intervention. So is it 20 wasted years? I don't know. But it certainly is 20 years of pain. And I think that that is not something that any Afghan citizen has ever deserved. And to speak a little bit about something that we do know for a fact, um, the fact is that vaccines do work. And why I'm even speaking about this right now is again to discuss the sort of post-truth world that we are currently in. Um, apparently the vaccine uptake has slowed significantly in South Africa. Don't worry, we will, we, meaning the young people, will rise up on the 1st of September. All of us will go get our vaccines, all the shots, don't worry, we will get them. We will hopefully redeem our country. Uh, But up until now, only about 7% of South Africans have been vaccinated. And that is really scary because the current science tells us that we need about 80% of the population to be vaccinated to kind of develop this herd immunity that we speak of. And I guess what is really scary is that I have yet to see any sort of actual, logical, rational answer for why people are scared of the vaccine. Um, And I think what's scary is that people have these fears, but they are willingly sharing these fears without substantiating them. So it's kind of like if you... I mean, let's take the situation I'm currently in. I'm trying to decide which NBA team to support, right? I am on the fence. I switch every few weeks and I really genuinely do not know who to support. It's like if me, the indecisive, uncertain me, went and 
absolutely slammed the hell out of the Lakers and was like, this team absolutely sucks. But I have no reason why. And I also have no other option of team to support. I have not done my research to the point where I have a decision. I have absolutely no explanation for why I feel that way. I'm just like, no, they suck. And everyone, I I become sort of the spokesperson for anti-Laker propaganda. Um, And that's, I think, what's happening with the vaccine. And that's what is really scary. People who, I don't know, I can assume have the most minute amount of knowledge on health issues are suddenly becoming spokespeople against the vaccine, which, I mean, is interesting. If you wanted to, you know, be a doctor and give people advice, you should have studied medicine. Um, Having said that, I know there are people in the medical field that are also quite vaccine hesitant, but again, I have yet to see any sort of good answer. The difference also with my dilemma about who to support and the dilemma about whether to take the vaccine or not is that me choosing who to support in an NBA team makes absolutely no difference to anyone else's life. And I've seen a lot of people try and frame this discussion as one where, you know, you kind of just have to let people do what they want to do and it's not really your business and don't get involved and live and let live. And that is inherently untrue because of what I just told you, that we need 80% of the population to be vaccinated. So we need to convince absolutely everyone who is able to get vaccinated. Small kids can't get vaccinated and there are some people with underlying issues that can't be vaccinated. We need to convince everyone else that is eligible to take a vaccine if we want to keep any of us safe. So you might not care about your own safety and that's fine, but maybe try and care about everyone else's safety because we pretty much all need each other in this worst group project of our lives where it is so hard to even get a response out of people and all you get is some people who want to do all the work and others who want the marks at the end because they just want things to go back to normal. Well, nothing will ever be normal. We will never get to see each other's faces again because we'll have to wear masks forever that they will probably grow into our faces if more people don't get vaccinated. And I think like everything else, you know, you need to do scientific research, um, but we are not, I mean, if you aren't a scientist, then the point is to read the research that others have done and to make a critically informed decision based on that. And no, listening to one random WhatsApp voice note from a cousin who you haven't met in seven years, that is not medical research. Just read some articles. Watch, you know, some YouTube videos that explore the results of clinical trials. There has been a lot of investment and a lot of work that really brilliant minds have done in order to develop these vaccines. It's not just something that fell out of the sky. And if it was, um, I maybe could understand a little bit more of the hesitancy. What I am encouraged about, though, is that I've seen quite a lot of people who are taking the stance of, you know, let me decide on my own terms And I'm really glad that people have that willingness to decide on their own terms because it feels like that willingness is somehow not there when it comes to women's choices and women's bodily autonomy. Somehow, women's bodies are apparently owned by everyone. So you can acknowledge that, you know, bodily autonomy should be a thing. Um, Acknowledge it in the right places, maybe, like when it comes to women's reproductive rights um, and gender non-conforming people. And um, maybe when it comes to, you know, a public health crisis where 
absolutely everyone has to get involved and everyone needs to help each other, um, then, you know, maybe think a little bit more about community choices and how those choices impact everyone else. So in conclusion, take the vaccine, stay out of women's bodily autonomy, and try to do some more research about what's going on in Afghanistan. It'll probably take you really long. Just sit and refresh the page every few minutes because there are new developments quite literally every few minutes. Um, and I think also just generally keep in mind how important it is to center civilians and individuals and people who are not involved in these reckless decision-making um, that all politicians are involved in. Please feel free to engage with me on this and any other topic at A-M-A-A-R-A-H-G on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I don't know how, but yeah, feel free to find me on any of those. My heart absolutely goes out to every single Afghan citizen or people who have, you know, loved ones that live in the area. I am praying for your safety. I am praying for a peaceful negotiation and a better tomorrow so thanks for listening yes to us and yes to hope